weekend, 18 couples had decided that they wanted to invest in their marriage. And many of you uh, are back this morning, which is really exciting. And uh, we have had just a blast. Friday night, Saturday, yesterday. Um, last night was a, a, just a relaxing night, hopefully, as you came back to the kids. Um, and, uh, and then this morning, we are in for a treat. Steve and Mary Beth Bradshaw um, are just, uh, they love couples. They love life, and they love the Lord, and uh, they have got a word for us this morning that I'm excited, and I'm asking that you would just uh, open up your hearts to receive from them. Steve works at the district office and has for several years now, and uh, he does a fantastic job. He oversees church planting and uh, just a whole uh, slew of things, and uh, one of the things I love about Steve is every time I talk with him on the phone, uh, I don't know you know, what else he's dealing with, which I'm sure is numerous. In fact, they shared a little bit at the retreat. This, this last season has been pretty stressful. But whenever you get him on the phone, uh, he, it's like I'm the only one that matters. And uh, he's got a way of just listening, and whether he's doing other stuff or not, it's wonderful. And I appreciate that about you, Steve. And Jessica loves Mary Beth, of course, and uh, they're just a wonderful couple. And uh, we are blessed to have them this morning. This morning, we've, we've been talking about uh, marriages this weekend, and, uh, but don't tune out singles, okay? And young adults and young people, um, uh, there's a word for you this morning, and uh, without further ado, I want to ask Steve and Mary Beth Bradshaw to join me on the stage. Amen. Thanks, man. Love you. so great to be with you. We don't get to do this on weekends together enough, and so, honey, I'm, it's been great this weekend getting to do this, and we get to get, do it again next week as well, and so it's kind of that season of the year. How many of you did something special on Valentine's Day? Okay, one or two. That's, I, see, I see why you invited us. It's awesome, but no, really. Um, we had a great time at the retreat, and one of the things that we talked about sharing uh, the time with couples, uh, you have a loving church here. It's a very loving church toward one another and to God. That's very evident. And I want to tell you something. When you love God and you love one another, your church can't help but grow. That's just part of what happens as a result of, of that kind of love. And so it was kind of cool to get to see that. And we do esteem Pastor Ben and Jessica, we think they're some of the sharpest in Michigan. You've got an above-average leader here as your pastor and his wife. And when you have an above-average leader and you have a church full of people who love God and love one another, I'm going to tell you, this will be an above-average church. And uh, I don't know if you can ask for anything more than that. We love Pastor Mark and Julie, too. We had the privilege of pastoring. Yeah. You can show your love and esteem for them as well. We had the privilege of pastoring in Mount Pleasant, where Mark's brother attended and actually served on staff with me for a season while Gwen was finishing school, and that was a great time. But we're here to talk about marriage, and the thing that so many people don't realize is that your marriage is not just for the two of you. God has designed your marriage to be for the world to see God through your relationship. 
Now, that ought to scare some of you. <laughs> They're going to see God through this. I mean, we have a pretty intense relationship, but we keep working at becoming one. We've become so close. I've told this story here before, but there's so many new faces, I want to tell it again. There was one day I was going to the office, I was going to, the work, going to work, and first of all, let me tell you, I'm, I'm a tight wad, I don't like to spend money. I used to shop at TJ Maxx, but it's becoming very expensive to shop there. So now I hit the clearance racks at, you know, these kinds of stores, and so I'm the kind of guy that, you know, I find a pair of pants for five bucks, I buy that pair of pants, and I wear them until they're way past their due. And you know how after a while when you're wearing khakis, you wash them a few times, they kind of are short, you know, you're walking around like this. So I pull a pair of khakis out of my closet, I put them on, they're a little short, but I think, you know, I don't have any appointments today, it'll be okay, nobody's going to see me, I'll slide in the back door, close my office door, and it'll be cool. And so I put this pair of pants on, and, and I thought, man, I don't like these, these are horrible. They didn't fit right. I kept moving them around and all day long. And, and my wallet stuck halfway out of my pocket. Now, I don't have much money in my wallet, but the $2 that I have, you know, I want to protect that. And so I, I, all day long. And so I got home at the end of the day. I went in to hang the khakis in my closet thinking, you know, I didn't mess them up. There's no need to wash them. So I hung them up. It was probably a week later. I put those khakis back on, and the whole day I just, ugh. And this was my thought on the way home after struggling all day in this pair of pants. I, I, if I put them in the laundry, they will wear out sooner so that I can throw them away eventually. And so I did. I put them in the laundry. And later that week, we were doing the laundry. And my wife and my daughter, we were all upstairs. All the clothes were on the bed. We were falling. I grabbed these khaki pants to put them on a hanger. And my wife says, there's my khaki pants. I've been looking for them. So the joke in our family is, um, he wears the pants in the family, but they're mine. So if you're here today, you need to become one, you need to share things. I don't recommend sharing pants, though. That's not, as you see, my wife's voice has given out, and uh, I'm going to be doing the lion's share of the talking. Too bad for you, you'd much rather hear her, but uh, we want to talk about a redeemed relationship today in Genesis chapter 2. As I've already mentioned, your marriage is not just for the two of you. It's not just for your kids. It's for the whole world to see the kind of love that God has for His creation, mankind specifically. That God loves His creation so much that He wants to redeem you. And so this morning we're going to talk about, and I just, you know, this weekend I've already mentioned, and I, I'm not going to go through all the couples that were there, but it was so good to renew acquaintance with Dennis and Mary. We met years ago up at uh, Lost Valley Camp. And when I see your marriage, I see faith. It's an aspect of what it is to know God. And, and it encourages me when I'm around Dennis and Mary because faith comes into my life. We got to meet uh, John and Dolores this week. And everybody knows who John and Dolores is, right? Half of you are related to them. But uh, John and Dolores, Abachi <laughs> King, yeah, we won't talk about that anymore. Um, John and Dolores, to me, exemplify a life that is full of love, that it's a consistent love. And, and then we met Dan and Sherry, and they're like a new love. 
And it represents, and, and these aspects, when you look at marriages, you see these things that are, that are a part of their lives. And so many of the couples that we got to meet this week, it was that way. Jason and Mandy, uh, I thought about joy. When you're around them, there's this joy that comes out. And so these are just some of the things that point out. But we want to talk about the whole aspect of marriage, a redeemed relationship. And no matter where you're at in that that process, you need to understand what God's purposes were. And so we're going to read from the message this morning, Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. We might as well start with the first couple, right? And uh, see what God intended by looking at Genesis chapter 2. God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make him a helper, a companion. So God formed from the dirt of the ground all the animals of the field, and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. The man named the cattle, named the birds of the air, named the wild animals. But he didn't find a suitable companion. God put the man into a deep sleep. As he slept, he removed one of his ribs and replaced it with flesh. God then used the rib that he had taken from the man to make woman and presented her to the man. The man said, finally, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, name her woman, for she was made from man. Therefore, a man leaves his father and mother and embraces his wife. They become one flesh. The two of them, the man and his wife, were naked, but they felt no shame. Father, we thank you for the gift of a companion, that we can share this life together. But Lord, help us not to see it simply in the terms of a life, but God, that our life together, and I pray over every couple here and, and even every single that may engage in marriage at some point, but specifically, Lord, I even pray for Mary Beth and I that our lives would have an eternal aspect that when people look at us, they see how much you love mankind. And God, we pray that that becomes very plain today as we share your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I don't even know the purpose of anybody getting married if God's not going to be the center of that. If God's not going to be the one who has his lordship stand upon that marriage, stamped upon that marriage, if you would, why even... Why even go through the legal process? You know, why worry about the benefits? What's important is to understand that marriage was something that God gave for man and woman, and he had something intended in that. And this morning, we want to take just a moment to review. Yesterday, we shared this, uh, these six words, but I think that they're easily discoverable in Genesis chapter 2. And we want to share really quickly a review on these six points about what is God's view of the marriage? Why did he create it? The first is that we do not have to be alone. God created us for each other for companionship. Now, um, my grandmother is almost 89 years old, and she still drives. She's still, she's just an awesome lady. But she and my grandfather were married 60, almost 68 years before he died and went home to be with Jesus. And the number one thing I hear from her is, I hate going to bed at night. I go to bed at night at 5.30 or 6 o'clock, watch Wheel of Fortune, and, you know, because I don't like being there at night by myself. I miss that companionship. And so God, that's why he created us for one another, to have that companionship and 
if you're here and you lost a spouse, you understand what that means. You miss that. That's one of those wonderful things that God created um, us to be with each other. And then the second thing is partnership. Um, we have a helper in our life, in our work, in our recreation, in our everyday living. We have a partner that we can do things with. Now, that doesn't mean we can't have friendships outside of the home. Um, me, my friendships are going to be with women. My husbands are going to be with men. You should not have that close relationship with members of the opposite sex when you are in marriage. And, um, but it is healthy to have a relationship that I have a girlfriend that I can call Jessica or, you know, and say, hey, let's go get coffee. It's healthy, but it can't become the primary source of partnership in your life. And it's very important, as Mary Beth talked about, that you set the right boundaries and parameters for any type of partnership that is outside the first partnership that God created for you. When you stood at an altar in a church and you made a vow and you made a commitment, you made that the number one partnership in your life on this earth. Every other partnership takes some kind of secondary meaning. But we see that guys and gals cross those boundaries so many times. And it's not just by creating friendships online or even creating friendships with the opposite sex at work. Guess what? It can be as simple as playing too much golf. Golf in itself is not wrong. Hanging out with the guys can be a healthy thing. There was a time in our life, though, when I was playing golf so regularly that my wife said, why, you, you don't ever want to be with me. And I was like, come play golf with me. And we went one time, the first hole that she played, she parted, I bogeyed it, she walked away and said, I beat you, it's over. She's never, never played with play me again. again. That's it. I'm just like, but there was, there was too much going. If you're playing basketball every night, something's wrong with that. Because you need to, to balance those things. There needs to be parameters. But when we think about partnership and companionship, two words that come to mind. For guys, they're looking for an adventure. Guys are looking for something that they can go do. And, and for them, maybe it is winning on the court or or you know, scoring a better score in golf, or, or bagging the big buck, if you would. It, it's some of those kinds of things. They're looking for that adventure that leads to a win. This morning, we want to show you a, a quick clip. We're going to show you three clips this morning. They're all from the same movie, The Incredibles, because our, our uh, hope for you is that your marriage becomes, and your home, your family becomes The Incredibles, so that people, when they look at you, go, that's an incredible marriage. But this first clip, there's not a whole lot to it, but it's two guys who are going out because if you remember, Mr. Incredible, they, they, they had to kind of close and not show their superpowers, and he's just not dealing with this very well. Very well. And so he goes out with Frozone on adventures on the night. And so and in this clip, we pick them up sitting in the car, and guys, we talked about this yesterday. Just listen to what they're doing as they're sitting side by side. So now I'm in deep trouble. I mean, one more jolt of this death ray, and I'm an epitaph. Somehow, I managed to find cover in what does Baron Von Ruthless do? He starts monologuing. He starts monologuing. He starts like this prepared speech yeah. about how feeble I am compared to him, how inevitable my defeat is, how the world will soon be his, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, I mean, a guy has me on a platter, and he won't shut up. 2356. What is that? Robbery? This is just sad. Yeah. Robbery? You want to catch a robber? No. Tell you the truth, I'd rather go bowling. Look, 
What if we actually did what our wives think we're doing, just to shake things up? He's not alone. The fat guy's still with him. They're just talking. What are we doing here, Bob? We're protecting people. Nobody asked us. You need an invitation? I'd like one, yes. We keep sneaking out to do this and... You remember Gazer B? Yeah, there was something about him in the paper. He had trouble adjusting to civilian life, too. When's the last time you saw him? I don't see anyone from the old days, Bob. Just you. And we're pushing our luck as it is. Oh, come on, come on, I mean, come it was on. fun the first time, but if we keep doing this, we're gonna get... A fire. We're close! Yeah, baby! We're gonna get caught. Woo-hoo! This is what guys want. Ladies, you need to understand, when they're going out hunting and they're going out golfing and they're going out to throw horseshoes, <laughs> and you will turn your golf game or your basketball into horseshoes someday. But when you're doing that, it's because they're looking for an adventure. They're looking to do something that recaptures the glory days of their dreams. For the woman, she's looking for security. She's looking for something that... Uh, when she's out there, you know, I haven't really hung out in the coffee shop when the girls are talking, but a lot of times what they're talking about, what are they trying to do? They're trying to secure that feeling that's inside. They're trying to secure their beauty. So they're talking about, let's go get facials or, you know, the whole thing. It's a security issue. And in this next clip, we're talking about companionship, partnership, but notice that the woman she, she looks at it from a whole different point of view. Let's look at this next clip. I thought you'd be back by 11. I said I'd be back later. I assumed you'd be back later. If you came back at all, you'd be back later. Well, I'm back. Okay. Is this rubble? It was just a little workout. Just, just stay loose. You know how I feel about that, Bob. Darn you, we can't blow cover again. The building was coming down anyway. I, what? It, <sighs> you knocked down a building? It was on fire, structurally unsound. It was coming down anyway. Tell me you haven't been listening to the police scanner again. Look, I performed a public service. You act like that's a bad thing. It is a bad thing, Bob. Uprooting our family again so you can relive the glory days is a very bad thing. Reliving the glory days is better than acting like they didn't happen. Yes, they happened. But this, our family, is what's happening now, Bob. And you are missing this. I can't believe you don't want to go to your own son's graduation. It's not a graduation. He is moving from the fourth grade to the fifth grade. It's a ceremony. It's psychotic. They keep creating new ways to celebrate mediocrity. But if someone is genuinely exceptional, this then This is not they... about you, Bob. This is about Dash. You want to do something for Dash? Then let him actually compete. Let him go out for sports. I will not be made the enemy here. You know why we can't do that. Because it'd be great! This is not... About you! All right, Dash. I know you're listening. Come on out. Bye. You too, young lady. Come on. Come on out. It's okay, kids. We're just having a discussion. Pretty loud discussion. Yeah, but that's okay. Because what's important is that Mommy and I are always a team. We're always united against uh, the forces of... Uh, Pig-headedness? <laughs> We're sorry we woke you. Everything's okay. Go back to bed. It's late. Night, Mom. Night, Dad. Good night. In fact, we should all be in bed. 
Anybody here have a night like that? Not last night. You don't have to admit it. Last night. But that's what companionship and partnership's about. And I think that clip captures the ideal of it. The other four points that God's view of the marriage, of companionship, partnership, the next is relationship. When he made Adam and Eve, they were similar, but they were also different. Relationship is, is, is really something that happens between two people who have similarities. Now, my wife and I, in the personality traits, we told the, the couples yesterday, we're extreme opposites. As a matter of fact, I'm an intense type A person, and my wife's the opposite of that. She's very uh, easygoing, easy laid back, and, and, and yet that intensity, we're so different, but there's so many similarities that draw us together that opposites do attract, and we found in almost 27 years of marriage that it's the things that pull us together that make the relationship wonderful. You know, you can focus on the things in your marriage or your relationships that are negative, you can focus on the things that tear you down, but that's not what God did. When he made Eve, he made someone who was similar because they could share so much more. Can you imagine before Eve was created, Adam's walking around the garden and he's like, well, I named this person, I, you know, I named this thing a lion. And so he's going up to the lion and he's going, hey, let's hang out. And the lion's like, I will eat you. You know, or he names this the grizzly bear and the grizzly bear is just thinking all the time, if I could just get my teeth into that, that's going to be wonderful, you know, or, or even the little cat that you have now made your pet. And it's the, it was just so finicky, you know, like your cat is, he's going, Hey cat, let's hang out. And the cat's going, not today, have no desire today. And of course we know dog is man's best friend. Really? Is your dog Really? speak the same language you speak? You think it does. You talk to it like it does. You tell it all of your problems and the dog just sits there and listens. You're like, this dog understands me. It understands two things, eat and the other end of eat. <laughs> so what did it understand? Sorry to bust your dog bubble, but this is the similarity. And yet God made us different because this is where real relationship takes place. We're to be monogamous. You see, God created one woman for Adam. He had more ribs. He could have made Adam a bunch of women. He was like, oh, you know, Adam might have went, man, this is pretty good stuff. I got, hey, how about taking a rib on this side, God? Do it again. This is awesome. That was not God's intent for marriage. The intent was a monogamous relationship, a commitment to one another. And when you stood on that altar and you made those vows, you were saying, I choose you above everybody else, and this is where my attention is going to be in our relationship. We're to become one. It's evident when the scripture tells us that a man leaves his father and mother and embraces his wife they become one flesh the idea here is unity god brings us together in unity we saw in those clips of the incredibles that they were going through an experience that could pull them apart but a redeemed relationship is always working to come back together this weekend we shared that there's seasons of disconnect in every relationship the goal of a married couple 
is to always be working to reconnect with one another on a regular basis. The sixth point that we wanted to share in this whole idea is we're to become bare with one another, intimacy. Intimacy is, is more than something that's physical. Intimacy is the bearing of one's soul to one another. You see, if you spend much time with me, you, you would find out some of my weaknesses, some of my shortcomings, some of my character issues, but no one in this room could ever know me the way she knows me. I'm most vulnerable to her. She could use that to manipulate my life. She could use that to try to control me. And vice versa is true. But that's not what God intended with intimacy. Intimacy was the ability to show our weakness to somebody who would not use that against us, but would protect us in the areas of our shortcomings. It's not always easy. Sometimes it's really difficult. On the way over, we had a discussion about pre presentation today because she was losing her voice. We were reordering the way we were going to present today. And in some of that conversation, there were, there were moments of tension. But the goal was is that when we stood here today, we would present to you a message that was for you, not about the tensions that it created for us. And so we were working toward the intimacy and unity that comes together in the marriage. Well, this was God's intent. This was God's view of the marriage, but what happened? And we're not going to go through all of the Old Testament, but right after Genesis chapter 2, we know that Adam and Eve sinned. And notice I said Adam and Eve sinned. You know, we know Eve bit into the apple first, but Adam was standing right there when she did it. He didn't try to stop her. He didn't try to say, whoa, this is a moment of weakness. As a matter of fact, I think Adam was having a yellow moment in himself because he was wanting to bite that apple, but he had heard God said, once you do this, you're going to die. And so he's standing there going, well, I got more ribs. We'll see what happens to her. You know, if she dies, God can do it again. It's okay. But when she didn't just like fall over, he was like, well, yeah, I'll try that. You look like you're all right. But immediately, that led to a separation from God. Everything that God had intended became blocked. It became sealed off to them. Their existence in the Garden of Eden was taken away. Now, guys, you can go home and you can read this later. In Genesis chapter 3, we have the curse where we know God cursed the serpent and, and made it to slither on the ground, and those things still scare me when I see them. I don't know about you, but I still run from the snake. He might not be uh, posing apples anymore, but he's still dangerous to me. And, and he cursed the earth, and he cursed the man. But when he cursed Eve, guys, I want you to hear this. This is, you might like this. You might want to hold on. You've been looking for the verse that you need in your marriage. Maybe this is it, because when he cursed Eve, he said this to her, your heart will always be for your husband and he will rule over you. And some guy goes, that's right. Yeah, that's the verse I've been. I, where is that? Genesis three. When I get home, I'm, I'm cutting that out of the Bible. I'm put, I'm getting it made into artwork. It's going to hang on the entry to my to my castle. 
You see, your heart will always be for your husband, and he will rule over you. How's that working for you, by the way? Yeah, exactly. Just doesn't seem to work out, does it? You see, if that was what God intended, it'd be working out pretty good, don't you think? But from that point, as you go through the Old Testament, you see the idea of marriage begin to disintegrate through all of God's word. Think about this. I'm not going to comment, but let me just list for you very quickly what began to happen in the Old Testament record. One, it was driven by a male hierarchical system. Divorce was allowed because of the hardness, the selfishness of the heart. Laws were created and manipulated to serve divorce, not relationship. Polygamy became a standard for men. Promiscuity was a standard for both men and women. And there is a demonstration throughout the Old Testament of the dysfunction of mankind, not only in a marriage relationship, but in every relationship. That's what the Old Testament records of what happened after Adam and Eve sinned. Here's the real good news. Guys, it's not the good news that Eve was cursed and that you would rule over her. The good news comes in the New Testament when Jesus comes to redeem mankind so that they can have right relationship, not only with God again, but with one another. Paul comments on this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Ephesians 5, 21 says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this way, Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church. For we are the members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife, and he loves himself as the wife respects her husband. You see, this passage, passage in Ephesians gives us a little clue. It gives us a little help to understand what the marriage relationship is supposed to be. But we get so hung up on these words. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wife. And we go, oh, the words are different there. And so the wife's supposed to, she's supposed to be under the husband and, and live her life under the husband. You need to understand something here. Notice the first sentence in this context of what Paul is talking about in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, submit to who? One another out of reverence for Christ. 
You can't go anywhere past that because past that, if you try to say, no, 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 the woman submits to the husband. That's the way God intended it because I heard that preacher say, Genesis chapter 3, she's under a curse. Jesus came to free us from the curse. And men, your job is to set her free from the curse of a, of a submission that is mandated by physical limitation. You see, when she's set free from that, she's not doing it out of obligation. When she submits herself, she's doing it out of her relationship to show how wonderful God's love for the church is. How God cares about his creation, mankind, so much that he submitted himself to death, even death on a cross. And when she willingly does that because she sees herself as the disciple of Christ, I'm going to tell you something, your marriage will be so much better. If she's doing it because you're saying, I'm holding the word over you, then you're misrepresenting the word. We submit to one another out of our reverence for what Christ has done. The way we do that, Paul makes it very simple because we are similar, but we're different. We talked about this, and many of you maybe have read the book by Emerson Egerich on love and respect. And it's based out of this that women need to be loved. They're, they're similar to us, but there are differences. Like in the clip, we're looking for adventure. They're looking for security. And when we create this cycle of esteem where we're building one another up, we are showing Christ in a way that makes a difference. We're instructed here that we display Christ's love for mankind when we love our wives the way Christ loves the church. Willing to give up self. Everything that we want to make sure that what they need is taken care of first. We're redeemed from the curse of sin and death, free to serve one another in God. And then it says, ladies, respect your husbands. Um, <clears throat> a lot of times people can take that out of context. You know, the respect for them, that's how they feel loved, is how they feel respect and it's in our mutual relationship with one another. I um, read this survey about how men feel loved and how they feel respected by their wife. And the number one way that the men that were all surveyed, hundreds of men, um, what they said, how they feel the most respect is she believes in me when no one else does. When times are tough, she comes alongside me and says, we can make it. And so that's so important for us as, as women in our relationship with our husbands to come along and respect them in those areas and say, you know what, I'm here with you, I believe in you. That's the ultimate show of love and respect. And there's a story um, of a, he was an evangelist, his name was Dr. E.V. Hill, and then he went on to pastor a very large church in California. And um, <clears throat> at his wife's funeral, he shared this story when he was a young evangelist traveling, they didn't have much money. And he came home one night, and all the lights were out, and she had candles on the table, and dinner was ready. And he thought, oh, my wife made a wonderful candlelight dinner for me. How wonderful. So he went in to wash his hands, and he flipped on the light in the bathroom, and the light didn't come on. 
So then he went into the bedroom and turned on the light, and the light didn't come on. So he went out, and she was sitting at the table, and he said, Honey, how come we don't have electricity? And through tears, she said, I know you work so hard to provide for me. I know that you, you go out, you preach the gospel, but you know, I just didn't have quite enough to pay the electric bill this month. So I decided it would be a great night for a candlelight dinner. Now, she, he said, she came from a very wealthy home. She could have said to me, you know what? You are not taking care of me like my daddy took care of me. My dad would have never allowed this to happen. But she didn't throw that in his face. She didn't tell him he wasn't a good provider. She came alongside him in that tough time. You know what? It's a good night for a candlelight dinner. We're going to make it. We're going to get through this together. What an ultimate, ultimate story and display of showing that respect to your husband. So we've talked about two things. The New Testament instruction regarding marriage is to husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. Women, respect your husband, show that. And let's watch uh, kind of the culmination of the Incredibles to see what happened. You remember there's tension in every family, right? It's easier to laugh at the Incredibles than for us to tell stories about Pastor Ben and Jess. So we'll watch this clip. I should have told you I was fired. I admit it. But I didn't want you to worry. You don't want me to worry? And now we're running for our lives through some godforsaken jungle? You keep trying to pick a fight, but I'm still just happy you're alive. How are you doing that? I don't know. Whatever you do, don't stop. what you need to look like to the world for Christ that you can take anything and in the midst of the biggest crisis of your life that you can overcome and have that victory and look at one another and go I love you because you're in this together there's going to be stuff that happens but are able are you able to push the other person up instead of tear them down you see the third point that we want to make about this and the final point is Create a marriage that portrays God's love for mankind. You know, when I look at Carl and Bonnie, I, I see patience. I, I, they're living patience. Or Carl and Carol, sorry. Larry and Bonnie. I get them mixed up sometimes. Please don't mix yourselves up, though. But when you look at their lives, you know what they've been through recently you see that they are still building one another up they're demonstrating patience and when you look at that you go i see christ in that you can't do that on your own you've got to have what is that carl what are you what do you have it's the power of god that sustains 
there's some things that we want to just share with you and share some of our own experiences. But one of the first things that's important in creating a marriage that portrays God's love for mankind is the attitude of forgiveness. You see, there's not one perfect husband in this room. There's not one perfect wife in this room. And so you must have the attitude of forgiveness. Um, there was a time in our marriage, and um, <clears throat> I'm sorry, <clears throat> that um, well, we were married probably seven years, and we were living with my grandparents, and we had moved, and um, all of our stuff was in their basement, and we had a, our desk was down there, and all of our bills, and my husband would go down there and pay the bills. So one day I was looking for something, and I went down in the desk, and I was digging under some papers, and I found the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition buried under everything at the bottom. Well, as, you know, relatively newly married, you know, six, seven years, I was, I was um, very hurt, and I was mad. I thought, here he is, hiding this swimsuit edition of the Sports Illustrated. You know, it could have been... You know, any other magazine, it could have been a Playboy, it could have been anything. Okay. But it was that, you know, to me it was, it just hurt me that he did that. So when he came home, I couldn't wait till he came through the door. I said, we need to talk. We went downstairs and I said, look what I found hiding under this drawer. And he said to me, he said, oh, that came in the mail. Someone had bought him a Sports Illustrated subscription. And um, when this came... I thought, oh, I got to get rid of this. So I put it in the bottom of the drawer to throw it away later, and I forgot that it was there. So when he was explaining this to me, my first inclination was like, yeah, right. That's what all the guys are thinking, too. Whatever. <laughs> sure. Um, but he started demonstrating to me that, you know what, that is. That is what really happened. And I had to trust him with that, and I had to believe him that that's what was going to happen. So... I had to take on that attitude of forgiveness. I had to forgive him because he hurt me. Um, I read this quote by Ruth Bell Graham this week. She's the wife of Billy Graham. And she says, a successful marriage is the union of two good forgivers. And it is. We always have to have that attitude of forgiveness. And as I displayed that forgiveness, my husband started displaying, you know what? I've lost trust with my wife, so I've got to start building that trust again. So he canceled that subscription, even though it was a gift. He canceled it. He started making sure that I knew um, that I could trust him in that area. And there's so many things. And, and, of course, it doesn't matter what you think about our Sports Illustrated story. You can think whatever you want to about it. The thing is, is I devastated my wife's trust in me. But what's so amazing is, is she worked through forgiving me and us restoring that relationship. That is what Christ does. He not only gives us a second chance or a third chance, but you have to have an attitude of forgiveness. There's a passage of Scripture where Jesus is teaching his disciples. He's just come off uh, the Mount of Incarnation, and, and they're having this moment where they couldn't cast this demon out. And, and uh, Jesus is talking to them, and in that passage of teaching, he's talking about forgiving and he says you have to forgive seven times in a day and and they're looking at him and they're going that's not possible their immediate response to this was we're going to need a gift of faith to do that 
And Jesus says to them, you don't need a gift of faith. I don't have time to break this story out for you. He basically says to them, if you're my follower, that's just how you live. But there has to be true repentance for there to be forgiveness. You see, if you're here today and you say, I want God's love for mankind, there has to be true repentance. You have to come in and say, I messed up. I don't ever want to do that again. And God knows if we're sincere. You see, in that moment where she discovered that Sports Illustrated, and we talked about that, and I began to express my regret, my desire that 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 not happen. She had to know that that was genuine, or she couldn't start from a new place to build trust from there. You say, seven times in a day. I remember when we were pastoring, I'm a real intense person, and so, I mean, oatmeal can be intense at our house. And we can get into it, and I would go to the office, and my routine was is to start my day with praying for an hour or so, and, and getting into God's Word, and trying to hear from God for our congregation, and and there's a scripture in the New Testament that says, don't come to the altar and seek God if you have something between you and a relationship. You need to go make that right. And I would just be praying, and it would be like, you know, we, we used to have a saying that the heavens are brass. In other words, you can't get through. And I'm just, I'm like, God. And, and after a little while of struggling to even concentrate on praying in God's word, it was like the Holy Spirit would say, you got to make things right with your wife. So I'd go to my office and I'd call and I'd say, honey, I, I need to talk to you. And she'd, she'd say, you can't pray, can you? I'd say, no, I can't. She goes, I forgive you. Just, you know, I understand. It's okay. Go do your work. And I would go and I'd have a great morning. I'd think, you know what? I'm going to run home for lunch. and I'm going to make that up to her. And, and we would get there and, and then we'd get intense over tuna fish. And, and then I'd go back and I'd be trying to work and I couldn't work. I couldn't focus and I'd have to call her and she'd go, I forgive you. And then that night, you'd say, how could she do? You're, you're not, you're not truly repenting because you're, you're still, there's certain things in our life. We have character defects. We have things that we have to work on. Thank God he gives us a companion and a helper who will help us mature and grow out of those things. And I can tell you that even though there are moments in our marriage where I'm still intense, it's not over oatmeal and tuna fish anymore. Are you with me? God gives us that, but without the attitude of forgiveness. Aren't you glad that Jesus Christ has an attitude of forgiveness towards you? Because he doesn't miss one of your moments of mistakes. And yet, when you come back to him, you go, I don't know why I'm so stupid. He just looks at you and he goes, I love you, stupid idiot. Yes, come on into my presence. I covered that with the blood. As long as your heart's moving. So the second point of a marriage that portrays God's love for mankind, the attitude of forgiveness, but Mary Beth mentioned building trust in one another. She mentioned, I canceled that subscription. I didn't even really like it anyway, but somebody bought it for me. I, it was an easy thing for me to do because I wanted to demonstrate to her, I wasn't just giving you empty words saying, I don't, I don't want you to think that I'm putting other things in front of you. I want you to know this, but guess what? I had to always guard. I mean, come on, you're driving down the street downtown and, and there's people who are walking down the street, right? 
I'm a people watcher. I watch all kinds of people, but I had to make a conscious effort that, oh, wow, there's a lovely young lady walking down the street. I am not going to gaze at that, right? What about going to the mall? Come on, guys. You walk in the mall. There's a little shop called Victoria's Secret. I don't know why they call it a secret. They're putting everything right out there. But you watch. You watch couples walking in the mall. They'll be walking side by side, but as they get close to Victoria's Secret, the guy's kind of like lagging behind. I didn't do that. When I saw we were approaching the, the Victoria's Secret, you know what I did? I took a couple of steps in front and I looked the other way. What was I trying to do? I'm rebuilding a lost trust. One of the greatest things that's happened, I travel a lot, or we're on the road apart from each other. I love my iPhone for this reason alone. We can do face-to-face through our iPhones. I just got a hook on the internet, and she can say, hey, let's FaceTime. And so, boom, we, she can find out where I'm at. I can build trust through the technology that God is giving us. We can communicate with one another. That's an awesome thing. And I, I, and I got to tell you, honey, thank you for trusting me the way that you trust me. Because I think it demonstrates how much God is willing to trust us, his people. The last thing we want to share is that you're living an example of grace to others. <laughs> If you'd been on the marriage retreat, you'd know how crazy our lives can be. We, we were pretty open and transparent about that. But we're pretty open about talking about the grace that's been smeared over who we are. So many things about our life that are so wonderful and great that it outshadows and overshadows and and. and puts those other things into a whole different perspective and it's because of this it's because we know how to give grace to one another it begins to impact the way you parent it begins to impact the way you serve one another in the body of christ it begins to impact the way you live in the community when you are a walking example of grace so that when other people see grace through your lives what they're seeing is is what god's done you see, grace isn't something that you and I can muster in ourselves. It's the supernatural gift of God that's undeserved. And so when your kids look at your marriage, they hear you yelling in the middle of the night at one another, but then they see you say, I love you. You know what they're experiencing at that moment? They're watching grace happen, and they're enveloped in that grace. Should you yell at your wife or husband in the middle of the night? Absolutely not. But it happens. But make sure grace happens. You know, my kids, they, they do stupid stuff. You know, my son, he's, he's 22. I love him to death. You'd have to love him or he, he wouldn't still be alive. <laughs> A couple of Saturday mornings, it's like the snowstorm coming. A few Saturdays, I think it was the third weekend of January. Remember, we got a morning snow on Saturday, and I had to go to a men's event. And, and he was going to work, and he called me. He said, I'm on I-75 between here and here. I've run out of gas. 
So I said, well, I'll get there as soon as I can. I threw my clothes on. It was, happened to be on the way to the men's event, so that was a break. So I got there, and, and uh, I'm pouring the gas out of the can into the car. And wouldn't you know, the Oakland County snowplow decides to come by. That, and it's like the guy's going, oh, I got one today. <laughs> you know, it's like, can't you pull over, lift the plow? No, man, he just splattered me. And I'm still looking for him. I'm going to get him back. I mean, I can't wait. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to catch him, you know push him in the ditch that's full of water or something but I thought I found him last week I was at a church but now I got a lead on who all drives snow plows for Oakland I'm kidding I was so mad at my son you know I called him names not to his face I called him names I thought what's wrong with this kid you know how it is But if you say anything about my son, you might as well be the Oakland County snowplow guy. I will take you down. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot that goes on here, but this is a treasure. You try to touch my treasure, you try to hurt my treasure, I'll take you down. Why? Because we share a grace that's been given to us that I'm going to protect that. So it is with the love of Christ in the church. We create a marriage that portrays God's love for mankind. Do you know that God will not let you go through any more than you can handle? He will not put you through a trial or tribulation, but if he leaves you sitting on the side of the road because you ran out of gas, it's not because he's not coming. He's just going to get there when it's the right time for him to be there, to rescue you, to to take you to the next level. He's going to come, and he's going to protect your life. And you know what? He has promised this. No matter what you go through here, even death, he's called you a living sacrifice, and he has a plan for all of eternity. Our encouragement to you this morning is not that you just have a good marriage, but that you live a redeemed relationship and that your marriage is made for a higher purpose. It's a temporary picture of how awesome God's love is for a lost and dying mankind. If you want that kind of marriage, you've got to seek God to help you live it out. Let's all bow our heads for just a moment. And in a moment, we're going to have couples come. And we want to pray over your marriages today that God would do something mighty. And, you know, there's a lot of people in this area that need to see the love of Jesus Christ in such a powerful way. And, and, And there's many ways that God will show them. But one of those ways could be your marriage. So we want to pray that over marriages in this place. But before we do, I just wonder if you're here today and you'd say, you've talked about forgiveness. You've talked about grace today. You've talked about God's love for mankind. And, and I'm here today and, and I need that in my life. I know I'm not perfect. I know I've messed some things up. And I just want to, I just want to come before God today and say, God, I need you to forgive me. I need you to to restore me into the right relationship with you so that I can have right relationships with those around me. And you're here this morning, you'd say, I need that. I need God's forgiveness and love today. 
just slip your hand up. We're gonna, not going to call you forward. Just say a quick prayer with you before we go to the conclusion. Yeah, I see your hands. That's awesome. Thank you. Anybody else? You just say, I want that in my life. Yeah, I see you. Yeah, I see you. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. There's certain things we do as family, and church family has its things that they do too, and one of those is, is there's certain things we share together, and that, that prayer of asking God to forgive is one of those things that we share today to, together. So here's what I want to do. I want to lead you in this prayer, and I want the whole family to repeat it. I think it's healthy to do this together, and if you raised your hand, you'd say, that's me. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to repeat this prayer. And, and there's no magic. We don't do magic. At, God's, God's so above magic. But it, it is simply an expression of faith. And when you express that faith, you've got to trust that God's going to do something great in your life. So could we repeat this prayer together? Dear Jesus, I know I've sinned. Too many mistakes I've made. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Your word says that you forgive me. And I believe that. I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died for my sins. I believe you were resurrected. And that you give me a gift of eternal life. So Lord, I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask that we stand to make it just a little more convenient. And here's what I want. I want all the married couples to come and stand here at the front. We're going to pray that the Gateway Church is full of marriages. Maybe you're here, your spouse isn't here. That's okay. Come on up. You can pray, you, you can pray for your marriage together. And, and can I extend this? If you are officially engaged to be married, you've, set, you, you've, you've done the, the asking and the yesing and the parents said, we bless this, we, we encourage you to come. I want to tell you something. If, if this county can take a look at what God's about to do in marriages, I think a lot of people can get saved just by you being who you want to be.